Okay, let's, uh, y'all go ahead and give, and uh, we can get started in the Word. Man, didn't Charlie and the worship band do an unbelievable job today bringing us before God? We were having uh, dinner, Charlie and Clay and I, the other night, and, uh, you, you know, we were talking about their job, their responsibility, uh, and their job and responsibility uh, is not to perform for you. Uh, their job and responsibility is to help us perform to God. And uh, if God is honored and blessed uh, by what we do, uh, that's what we're about here. And it's a vertical uh, desire that we do in worship. Uh, it's not to entertain you. Uh, it's not to put on a great show. Uh, it's to honor God uh, and uh, thank Him for His presence. Well, I want you to take your Bible. I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation, the 21st chapter. We're going to jump in this morning, Revelation chapter 21, and uh, we're going to continue a series called Life Beyond the Glass. Life Beyond the Glass. This is installation number four of that. And I'll give you a chance to finish giving and do the, uh, find the, in the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, chapter 21. I would recommend that you put a bookmarker here because we're going to go away and go to Isaiah 60 later on in the message, but we're going to come back to Revelation 21, so it'd be really, really helpful for you to have that. Now, what I've been doing is, uh, in this series is simply describing for you heaven, life beyond the glass. We think of uh, our fishbowl as being life uh, but this isn't life, man. This is just uh, pre-life to what life is really intended by God to be like in heaven. And so we've talked about what life in heaven will be like. Week one, we talked about the fact that heaven's going to be a place of redemption and renewal. And week two, we talked about uh, the fact that heaven's going to be a place of relationship and love. Last week, we talked about the fact, and this kind of blew some people's minds, uh, and I had uh, a lot of emails saying, man, I never thought about that before, but heaven's going to be a place of mental growth and learning. Man, you're going to learn things, uh, and it's going to be an adventure. If last week blew you away, I want your uh, kind of brains to explode this morning as you think with what the Holy Spirit says uh, about how heaven is described. Because heaven is described not as a boring kind of a place, but uh, as an amazing place. And I want to talk to today about heaven being a place of adventure and exploration. Let's read this section of scripture, Revelation 21 and verse uh, uh, 1 and 2. It says, Then I saw, watch this, a new heaven and a new earth. Wrap your minds around that just a little bit because so many times we think of heaven as being some weird, wacko kind of place way out there. We don't even have a clue what it's going to be about. But he begins this description of, of heaven, describing it as a new heaven and a new earth. He said, and there was no longer any sea. The word sea in Revelation is... Uh, the idea of separation, and he says there's no longer any separation between God and his heaven and earth, verse 2. And I saw the holy city, watch this, in addition to the new heaven and the new earth, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, it's impossible to read the, the pages of the New Testament without seeing the unbelievable, intense longing the New Testament Christians had for heaven. 
The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, he says, we are citizens of heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, fiction writer uh, Isaac Asimov dares to put down on paper what many of us think in our minds but are afraid to articulate out loud, and I quote, Asimov says, I don't really believe in an afterlife, so I don't have to spend my life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell may be, I think the boredom of heaven will be even worse. Now, y'all say hello to Jaws this morning. He's back here in the bowl. He's up at the top. Say hello to Jaws. All right. Jaws says back to you, hello. Uh, now, if there are youngsters in our group right now, parents, you may now cover their ears, and I, I just have to make an admission to you, uh, this is Jaws 2. <laughs> and I'll let you explain what that means to your kids, okay? And, uh, but this is Jaws 2. And I want you to notice Jaws this morning. I've added uh, my office clock this morning uh, to Jaws' uh, table for a reason. There is something that if you've been very, very observant, and the observant people here this morning have already noticed this, people aren't observant at all, haven't even noticed there's a clock on the table. But if you notice about a clock, what do you notice about the clock? It's got the wrong time on it. Well, kind of. It's going to be right twice today. I guarantee you that, all right? So be right twice today. There's something more importantly about that because this little hand right here is the second hand. And what do you notice about the second hand? It ain't moving, all right? The clock is not moving. It says, and it said this now for about four days, it is eight minutes uh, after two o'clock, uh, either in the afternoon or the morning. Now, I, I brought the clock in for the, you this morning. I didn't change the battery. I will tomorrow. But I brought the clock in for you this morning because I wanted you to notice something very, very uh, important. Actually, two things about Jaws. Jaws' bubble here, his fishbowl, is his little life, kind of like your little life inside your little bubble, and you never think about anything outside of your fishbowl. Neither does Jaws. As a matter of fact, Jaws not one time has raised up a sign to me this morning and said, Neil, my clock is wrong. You know why? It's simple. Fish can't tell time. Did you know that? You know, that fish can't tell time. So he doesn't have a clue about that. But there's another reason why I got the clock here this morning, much more importantly. It is because Jaws lives such a boring, mundane life, just like you. That the clock of time in his life and in many of our lives seem like it's stuck in the same place and never moves at all because it's just like Groundhog Day, same thing day after day after day. Now this morning what I want to do, I want to talk to you about two things. I want to describe heaven, number one, as a place of adventure and exploration. And then I want to ask one of the most critical questions that I can ask of you in your spiritual life. So that's where we're going to go today. Go ahead, next slide. I want to describe for you heaven being a place of adventure and exploration. Adventure and exploration. Now in verse 1 and 2, he describes for us two different places. One place is part of the second place, but in, in verse uh, 1, 
1, he talks about a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to describe that. And then in verse 2, he goes on to describe what is called heaven's uh, uh, capital city or holy city, the new Jerusalem. And I want to talk about both of those things for you this morning. Describe both of them. Allow the Holy Spirit to describe both of them. Uh, and, and get you to look beyond the glass of your, eye, your own lives this morning. And what I want you to do is set aside, out of your mind, flash away most of the preconceived notions of what you think heaven is going to be like. And I want to describe for you what the Bible says heaven is going to be like and ask you some questions in response to that. Number one, let's look at the New Jerusalem. In verse 2, he talks about the holy city, the New Jerusalem. Now, the remainder of chapter 21, the Apostle John receives from Jesus a description of what the New Jerusalem, the holy city, the capital city of heaven is going to look like. And let me just give you some words. You can write them down as we kind of study through this section of Scripture. Number one, he describes the holy, uh, the, the holy city, the New Jerusalem, number one, it with the word radiance, radiance. Verse 9 through 11, read what it says. One of the angels, seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of uh, the seven last plagues, came and said to me, come and I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me in the way of the spirit to a high, to a mountain, great and high, and he showed, showed me the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, and it shone the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel and uh, like jasper, clear as crystal. Just as the appearance of God is so often described for us as unapproachable light or a magnificent in, in its radiance, so the city of God is described in exactly the same way. Friends, what I want you to do this morning is look beyond the glass of your life and begin to imagine with me what it will be like to enter into heaven's uh, holy uh, place. In verse 12 uh, through 14, it describes the structure of the holy city. The structure of the holy city. Look what he says. It said the holy city had a great high wall, 12 gates and 12 uh, angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there were three gates on the east, three on the north, uh, three on the south, three on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Notice Despite our own misconceptions of what heaven will be like, heaven is not described as some nebulous floating place out there on a cloud, but he uses very specific language that shows structure. He says the city has walls, the city has gates, the city has a foundation. Folks, look beyond your preconceived notions of what heaven will be and see the glorious radiance and structure of God. Number three, we see that it's a city unequaled. A city unequaled. Now, I've been to some cool cities. San Francisco, my favorite city uh, in the world. If I had to live in a city, that would be the place. But I've been to some other cities. Man, I've been to Stewart, Virginia. Now, that is a city. I want you to know it ain't much of a city, but it's a city. I grew up in Salem. I've, I've traveled a lot of different cities. What I want you to understand is there is no city ever that's been created, ever, that equals in any way, shape, or form this city. It says there in, in verse 15, 16, the angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city was laid out like a square, as long as it is wide. Then he goes on. He said he measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia, 14 or 1,500 miles. In length 
and as, and as wide and as high as it is long. Now, this is the peculiar city we're learning about here. It's not just 1,400 miles long, not just 1,400 miles wide, but it's also 1,400 miles tall, a perfect cube. We're amazed at how similar it is uh, of the Old Testament temple described in 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 20 that was a perfect cube. Someone's calculated this and said that the size of the holy city is uh, 2 million, uh, 2.25 million square miles. I have to agree uh, that it is beyond, as one writer said, our mundane, rational human expectations. How many people have ever visited a city 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles high. I've never seen a city like that, you're saying to yourself. One doesn't exist, you're saying to yourself. Exactly. Look beyond the glass. We read about the splendor of the city, verse 17 to 21. This is a magnificent description of the city. He said he measured its walls, and he found that they were 144 cubits thick, about 200 feet by man's measurement, which the angel was using. And the wall was made of pure jasper, jasper, and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. And verse 19 and 20 describes uh, the 12 foundations as being 12 precious jewels. And if you would study the description of each one of the jewels, you'd find out that each one of them is a different color. So it's almost like the rainbow the city shines. Verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, and each gate made of a single pearl. And the great city, uh, the great street of the city was pure gold, just like transparent glass. You know, we see the uh, glimpses of God's uh, holy city and things that we see from time to time. How many have ever, ever gone out in the morning and seen a gorgeous sunrise and say to yourself, man, God's glory is unbelievable. How many have ever stood on the side of a, uh, of a huge mountain peak and seen the color of, uh, uh, of the leaves changing in the fall and say, oh, Lord, you're showing me your glory this morning. How many people have ever seen a, an unbelievable ski, uh, uh, seascape? In, in your mind, you said, the glory of God. Folks, would you get beyond the glass this morning and begin to see the magnificent glory and splendor of that city? In fact, verse 22 through 23 describes the glory of the city. It says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And never will the door be shut. Most Americans rarely consider the glory of God. They only read about it in the Bible. They only hear stories of people walking on the water in the Bible. They only hear stories of, uh, of Jesus providing miraculous catch of fish in the water in, in the Bible. They only hear about uh, 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 seas dividing in the Bible or city walls collapsing in the Bible. But they never expect to step out into a life of adventure and have God step into their lives and see him move and act in their own life. You see, folks, we've lived in such a horizontal way with God for so long, just doing things for God, that we've never learned to expect God to step into our lives as we step out in faith on the boat. 
Folks, I want you to understand that there are many, many, even in our own country today, that are getting beyond life just being, doing a lot of things for God. Just saying, my Christian life has to be about God showing up in my life in his magnificence, showing himself radically in my life as I step out of the boat and trust him. Those individuals, my friends, are living with what the apostle says, and I fixed on heaven. Because every moment of every day is lived in expectation that God will show up today in my life in a miraculous way. Now, Charlie made, uh, gave a mouthful earlier when he described his life. Because we, even when we read in the Bible the miraculous in the lives of the church, it wasn't like that Peter stepped from one miracle to the next miracle to the next miracle. We read about God doing miraculous things in the lives of people in the Bible. We read about the fact uh, he did those things. We think, man, that must be an everyday occurrence, but it wasn't. Most of their lives were just mundane, going about the normal types of things, the eating, you know, kinds of things that we do. But they lived and acted and walked in such a way that they expected God to show up in their life when he wanted to. Friends, look beyond the glass and expect even in your life the eternal God of the universe, to step up and step into your life in a real way. Verse 27, he gives the last description. He said, nothing impure uh, will ever enter it, or, uh, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful belong to those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, purity. John MacArthur says the word newness here doesn't refer so much to chronology, but to innocence and purity. He says, much like the young couple who, even though everybody else is giving themselves away, waits until the honeymoon night to give themselves totally to each other because they know only by doing that will they ever be able to walk in the intimacy that God wants them to walk in. Folks, I just got to ask you the question. All we've done is talk about the new heaven, I'm sorry, the new Jerusalem, how long is it going to take you to explore that magnificent city? How long will it take you to experience all the adventures of that new uh, city, heavenly city that God has waiting for you? Folks, look beyond the glass. I left out of the description two verses of Scripture on purpose because they say something very, pecu very peculiar uh, that so many people miss about what the new Jerusalem is going to be like. Verse 24 and 25 and 26. It says, the nations will walk by its light, the splendor of God, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into the city. And on no day will the city gates ever be shut, for there will be no night. And the glory and honor of nations will be brought into the city. Folks, I got to ask you a question. Where are the nations coming from when they enter the holy city, the New Jerusalem. Well, he, he describes it for us if you go back to verse 1 of the chapter. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down out of heaven. For the first heaven, the first earth, had passed away. We think of heaven as being a weird, out there, way of far away kind of a place, clouds and harps and all of that sort of thing, and nothing could be farther from the truth of Scripture. 
Because in Scripture we read uh, what is described as an unbelievable, unbelievable uh, place. After Columbus discovered the, discovered the New World, Spain struck coins with a Latin slogan on it, and the slogan was plus ultra. Uh, and that phrase was on every Latin coin uh, after Columbus, and, and uh, the, the, the phrase simply meant more beyond. Folks, what I want you to understand about this passage of Scripture is we've described the New Jerusalem then even as we begin to get our arms around this concept of this magnificent city, there is much more beyond that we need to understand. Take your Bible, go with me to the book of Isaiah, the 60th chapter, and I want us to talk for a few minutes about the Bible's description of uh, that new heaven and new earth. We find, uh, a week one would help you understand where we're going here. I just don't have time to go back and describe the joining together of heaven and earth. Uh, we talked all about that in week one, and so just go back and listen to the, uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, webcast, and you'll be able to understand all that. You can find it on our website. But here he describes for us what the new heaven and the new earth would look like. Once again, he gives some words. Uh, I can give some words to describe uh, what he sees there. And I want you to notice the comparison between the words that describe the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and the new heaven and the new earth. Number one, glory. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. And nations will come to your light, and kings to your brightness, to your dawn. God's glory will pervade the new heaven and new earth, just as it pervades the, the, the new Jerusalem. Friends, look beyond the glass this morning in your imagination. Second word is the word wonder. In verse 4 through 6, I, I'm so reminded of the little kids we talked about last week. Remember I talked about that no, no one's going to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, unless they're like a little kid who has just a desire to learn and to grow and to know all kinds of new things. This and then that what he describes as he, as he talks in verse 4 of people that are seeing God's new heaven and new earth. He says, lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the arm. You will look, and you'll be radiant, and your heart will throb and swell with joy as you see what God has provided for you. In verse 7, he talks about something totally beyond our realm of possibility. And so the word is impossible. Look what he says in verse 7. This, will, this is the craziest thing in this passage of Scripture. It says, all Keter's flocks will be gathered to you, and the rams of Nebioth will serve you. Now that means absolutely nothing to you unless you look at your reference there in your Bible and go back to Genesis chapter 25 and verse 13. And you'll find out that Kedar and Ebioth are the sons of none other than Abraham's first child. Who was who? Ishmael. Now get your arms around this. The prophecy is that even in heaven, many of the sons and daughters of Ishmael will come to faith and be in heaven. Does that mean that all Muslims will go to heaven? Of course not. 
Nobody comes to heaven except through Jesus Christ. But folks, what I want you to understand, we are living in a day that is absolutely, miraculously amazing, especially for individuals who have here that have, have been in Iraq or Afghanistan. This will just ring in your heart to know that right now today, in the Muslim world, all across North Africa, in the Middle East, Afghanistan, that whole region, people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Muslims, like never, ever before. They're accepting Isa, Jesus, as Savior of their lives by incredible numbers. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, 2,700 years ago, predicted that that's what heaven would be like. Guys and gals, get your minds beyond the glass and see the magnificent impossibility of, uh, of heaven. Verse 13, 11 through 13, I don't have time to read that, but it talks about the worship that will take place there. As the nations, as the nations, as the nations bring their worship items to the New Jerusalem. Was it just by chance that the Magi from distant lands brought gifts to the manger seen when Jesus was born? Or was that just a foretelling of what would take place in heaven when the nations, when the nations, bring their gifts of worship and honor to the throne room of God. Verse 18 through 20 talks about the safety of that great place. Don't you long for neighborhoods that are safe? We saw the other evening about uh, Trooper Walker killed down on Interstate 85. I wish I could call him a friend. He wasn't, but he was an acquaintance of mine. Don't you long for the day where shootings will stop? Don't you long for the day when wars will be over? Don't you long for the day when violence will be passed, when you can walk our streets, the streets of the new Jerusalem, the streets of the new world, of the new heaven and earth, in total safety? Look beyond the glass, folks. It'll never happen here, no matter how much gun control we, we put into place. No matter, no matter how many police officers we put on the street, we will never have that here but look beyond the glass. It'll be a place where, verse 21 through 22, where the glory of God will be displayed by all people. Look at it there. Can you imagine living in a world where every person and every creature lives with one purpose in mind, and that is to give honor to the glory of God. Look beyond the glass, folks, with me just for a moment, and ask yourself, how long is it really going to take me to explore all of God's heaven and all of God's new earth? What would it be like for you to travel to distant galaxies to explore the storehouses of the snow or the springs of the ocean? And by the way, what will travel be like in heaven? 
One of the best descriptions we have is in John chapter 20, verse 19. Remember, the apostles were locked under lock and key after Jesus' uh, death, and uh, it says there that all of a sudden they were there locked inside the room, and lo and behold, boom, Jesus was there in their midst. What's it going to be like to travel in heaven? Look beyond the glass. What will it be like to experience the adventures that God has in store for you? Plenty of time to spare. Folks, I want you to look beyond the glass because heaven will be a place of adventure and exploration. But there's a question I want to close with this morning, and the question is this. Since heaven's going to be a place of adventure and exploration, why is it that you are settling for such a boring life right now? And many of you are. For many, it's been so long since you've taken a dramatic step of faith out to walk on the water with God, you cannot even imagine what that would be like. You know why that is the case? Would you go back to the book of Revelation, chapter 21? I want you to read one verse. And guys, if you were with us in our Bible study on Monday evening, John Eldridge shared this, this verse of Scripture, and so I just borrowed from him. In uh, Revelation chapter 21, verse uh, 8, John writes, and he gives a list of people that ain't going to make it to heaven, all right? They're going to burn uh, in hell, and he gives a listing of those people. And I just want you to notice, and and certainly he's not, this is not an all-inclusive kind of a list, but you'll get the point of what he's saying. Watch what he says, verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, Those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And this is the second death. Now, all of us would agree. You know, sexual moral people, they ought to burn hell, you know? Uh, People that just harm children, pedophiles, uh, rapists, they they ought to just burn. That's, That's in our mind, okay? We have a, in our mind, we don't have any problem with murderers, you know, being lost and going to hell. We say, yeah, they ought to happen. Uh, many of them have come to faith in Jesus Christ and will be in heaven right alongside you, okay? So, so just understand that, that if they accept Jesus, no matter what they've done, uh, they will be able to be there. But he gives this long list of people that will not make it into heaven. But I don't want you to look at the long list. What I want you to do is notice the first group that he describes who won't make it. And who are they? Say it out loud, huh? Cowards. Cowards. Folks, why do we think that adventure with God is something that we only read about in the Bible? Why don't we expect personally to have trips in the belly of a whale, uh, of a fish like Jonah? Why is it that nobody today walks on water? Why is it that we don't expect miraculous supplies of bread? Why is it that we don't receive supernatural answers to our prayer immediately? Folks, could it be that at the heart of our souls, we are spiritual cowards? Could it be that Satan has so stolen and killed and destroyed all sense of adventure that we have? Could it be that just like Jaws, we know that it is safer to stay inside our little bowl 
inside our little boat and trust in ourselves rather than trust in Almighty God. We come to the time in service right now that I ask you to ask yourself a question and the question's on the screen right now and say it out loud. So what? Say it out loud. So what? This morning what I want to do is give you two or three things that will perhaps help you step out of the boat in a real way because living life with God in a vertical uh, direction is not about uh, just simply sitting back and singing kumbaya and hoping God will do something in our life. You never see that in Scripture. It's about stepping out of the boat in faith and giving God a platform to work into your life. Let me give you three words that will help you do that. Word number one is prayer. Write it down, prayer. You're saying to yourself, prayer is not much of a step in faith. Everybody prays. You see, the issue is when we pray, it's not a step of faith. It's just kind of hope, wish. I hope God does this. I don't really think he's going to. But God, I, I, I hope that you will take care of this situation, that you'll step in. But folks, I want to tell you something. When you step out, when you leap out of the boat of faith in prayer and dramatically ask God to do something, believing that he will, and he shows up, whether he does it your way or his way, guess what? That's an amazing step of faith. Folks, you can all do that. You can all do that, and I want to tell you, if you'll start praying with huge faith this week that God will do something in response to your prayers, your faith will grow tremendously. You can overcome being a coward a second way, uh, and let me give you this word, giving. Giving. You're saying, yeah, I knew the preacher would bring up money. He always brings up money. You know, Jesus talked about money more than he did any other subject. Did you realize that? More than any other subject. Dan, check that out. That's, that's true. And uh, any other subject about money, resources, what we have. Folks, this is the way it is. It's easy to set inside the boat and kind of throw a tip at God on Sunday morning. Just not first fruits, not a sacrificial gift. Just throw him a tip, just a little bit, just a tip. But I know in my heart that there are people right here in this room that are giving so far beyond their ability to give that it is amazing. And they could give testimony after testimony after testimony of the reliability of God. You see, folks, you stay comfortable in the boat and you're giving, just kind of throw a tip at God every now and then. God will say, hey, man, you're on your own and dealing with the problems of your life. But if you'll dramatically step out of the boat in faith, in trust, in complete trust in God, in your giving at a level that you've never given before, man, I want to tell you something, God's going to show up in your life. His way, not your way, His way. Does that mean I'll win the lottery next week? No. Are you kidding me? Do you think God needs to make you win the lottery for Him to bless you in your life? I give this to you. Uh, the reason you hadn't won the lottery already is because God knows that he couldn't trust you with what you got from the lottery because he can't trust you with what you got now, okay? Can I get an oh my or oh no on that? You know, that, that's the truth, okay? Thank you. Let's see. First word was, was what? Prayer. Second word was what? Last word, witness. Witness. 
And I want to get real, real solid on this. The reason most of us never witness to our faith of what God's doing in our lives, number one, is because God's not doing anything in our lives. And number two, because we'd whole lot rather sit comfortably inside the boat of our lives. And all the world around us can go to hell. We don't really care. It's their problem. Or, we can watch for the people that are flowing down the rivers of our lives. Not everybody's right all the time. But if you'll be serious about this concept of witnessing, God will put in front of you every day, multiple times every day, people that need to hear the gospel message. And you know the gospel message they need to hear most? They need to hear about what God's doing in your life right now today. You don't have to be able to quote all kinds of scripture to witness to your faith to somebody that doesn't know Jesus. You just tell them what God's doing in your life. But God's not doing anything in my life. Exactly, that's the problem, my friend. When God begins to move in a vertical way in your life and he begins to shape your life and you begin stepping out in faith, you begin praying as if God's going to answer, you begin giving as if God's going to supply the need, you begin trusting God in every part of your life, you will have a witness to share. And as you do that, you can open your mouth and speak a word for God. And then God will show up, and he'll take care of pulling that person close to the foot of the cross. Most time people don't share the, their faith is because they think, oh, I won't know what to tell them. I won't know what to tell them. I'll get the scriptures wrong. Can I tell you this? You remember the story of Balaam? He's a guy that had a donkey, John, and, and his donkey talked to him, okay? And this way it is, if God can use a jackass to talk to a person, he can use you, all right? He can use you. All you got to do is open your mouth. All right, all, that's, that's all you got to do. Well, I need to be quiet. And, uh, but I want to give you two things to do. There are some people that are here right now this morning that have never named Jesus Christ as Savior of their life. Never done it. If you died today, you wouldn't know whether you're going to heaven or to hell. You're hoping you're going to heaven, but you're not sure. Aaron and I are going to be here at the front, and, man, we would love to help you step across that line of faith to accept Jesus as Savior of your life, that can happen today. You can leave here today with your sins washed away. But I want to speak to the whole audience today because I have a feeling that there's some cowards right here today. Some cowards. You're not praying like a trusting person. You're not giving like a trusting person. You're not witnessing like a trusting person. You're a coward. The Bible says none of us cowards will find a place in the kingdom of heaven. So I'm just going to ask you as we sing a song, if you're a coward in your life today, that you'll show some guts and get up out of your seat and walk to the cross and just kneel before the cross and before Almighty God. Repent of that sin that's keeping you from boldly proclaiming Jesus as your Lord. And... Uh, Step away from the cross with a new level of trust this morning. Let's pray together.
Father, as clearly as I know how, I have tried to share what the Bible has to say about the adventure of heaven. As clearly as I know how, Father, I've tried to describe most all of our cowardly lives in a clear way. And God, if anybody is moved in their spirit right now to name Jesus as Savior of their life or to get up, get up and put behind them a cowardly attitude by going to the cross, Lord, that's your job to see happen, to make happen right now. So, Father, we're going to just sing a song. I pray that you would move in people's lives. I've been praying that all week. Just move in some folks' lives today. Help people step across the line of faith and accept Jesus as Savior of their lives today by stepping out and coming. It would be your desire, Father, help people to give away their cowardly lack of trust to you at the cross. In Jesus' name.